everyone. Welcome out to Grace Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of our pastors here. I'm actually our, our pastor of life groups and uh, excited to be up this weekend. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'd love to meet you uh, today. Just come up and uh, say hey to me. And uh, if you're looking to be a part of community and uh, share life with others, uh, love working with our leaders and helping people connect into some of our groups here at Grace. And so uh, if I can help with that, if we can have a conversation about that, I love having that conversation. It's what you, they pay me to do. So I <laughs> would love uh, to talk about that with you. Uh, we've been in this series called AHA, and uh, probably the shortest title we've ever had in a series, AHA. And what we've been talking about are these defining moments that, uh, where we draw closer to God. And I think it's just uh, been really interesting as we've talked about this as a team, we've, we've planned this series together that uh, we believe every person kind of must have a moment in their life or a, a time where something changes in their relationship with God and their understanding of God where Jesus becomes real and personal in your life, where it's not just a knowledge about God, but it's a, it's a relationship, it's interactive, um, and it transforms your life. And so uh, it's really hard to uh, describe what that's like, or especially uh, hard to tell you how to get one. Um, but we, we talk about these aha moments, these moments where the truth about God becomes true to us. Not that it's our truth, but, but we experience it uh, and for ourselves. And that's what's been interesting to talk about this as a team, uh, is we've really looked back at our own stories. It's not that we're making this up or uh, you have to manufacture an aha moment, but uh, anyone who has had one, and many of us have, um, we can talk about what that was like. We may maybe not be able to describe how it happened or why it happened, um, but these moments, if you, especially if you look back in your story, um, I think many of us can identify these. And if not, um, I think this can be a really helpful series. I think this can be a helpful series for a lot of us, whether we're just exploring Jesus, uh, maybe we, we hope one day that it, it clicks or that it would click for us. Uh, maybe if you're new to faith and you're trying to figure out how to begin, um, or even if you're just feeling like stagnant and stuck, or uh, knowing that God is calling you to a deeper experience of him, but you, you don't quite know what that's gonna look like. And so I hope that this series, um, as we kind of share our own stories, Pastor Jeff shared his story last week, I'm gonna share mine this week, uh, Pastor Joe's actually up next week, that um, it won't just be us sharing our stories, but actually it will be an invitation. It'll be, it'll be an invitation for you to seek the Lord and to expect much from him, and that um, whether it's just remembering how he's worked in your life in the past, or even if God's doing something new in you, uh, that this series would, would push us toward that, that effort. So uh, I hope it helps us all draw closer to God. Um, so I'm gonna share a little bit of, of my story, and I just wanna give you a little bit of the background, because I haven't gotten to talk a ton about my story, so I'm gonna share as much of it as possible. But I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a home of, of parents who loved Jesus, and there were two big ways that that showed up in our home. Uh, one was is, is that we were at church all the time. And so uh, we, we would be there Sunday morning for Sunday school. We'd be there for the service on Sundays. Uh, there was always stuff going on at our church that we volunteered for or baked for or helped set up or cleaned. And uh, my parents were just eager to volunteer. And so we got ourselves in some really interesting volunteer situations, uh, sometimes watching kids, sometimes like putting on Easter plays, uh, you know, for our community to come to. And I just remember being at the church all the time, and we gave a lot of our time to volunteer to do that. And it was actually fun. Um, the, the other way that my parents made sure that, you know, our home would be different 
other than how much time and, uh, uh, we spent serving and being at church was uh, they wanted me to be in a private school. So uh, they dedicated uh, a lot of time and resource to making sure that kind of from, you know, early school age all the way through that I was around teachers who believed in God and uh, who were going to teach me about him. And so uh, that part I didn't like as much. <laughs> private school <laughs> was a little hard to navigate. Um, but these were like big priorities for them and ways that uh, they wanted me to at least be surrounded. And uh, like I said, it was um, good. It, like I didn't hate it. Um, I did like believe in God. Um, I didn't really like have any big beefs. Uh, something that was unique about my experience growing up though was uh, I kind of had a diverse amount of faith traditions in my background, Christian faith traditions. But for instance, like as, as a young kid, I was going to a Catholic school while also being confirmed in the Methodist church. <laughs> and so uh, I was doing all these things at church and then I couldn't wear, or I, I could go to mass, you know, at school, but I couldn't take the communion, couldn't go in the confession box. And so I'm like, well, how come they're doing it this way over here and, and we're doing it this way over here? And even as I, I grew up, we, I started going to a fundamentalist Baptist school while also going to a Nazarene church. And so that was even weirder. Um, and it just got more intense as I went through life. And it was almost just like there were all these spaces uh, where we talked about God, um, you know, different ways. Um, not totally different though, but uh, it just seemed that God stayed in those spaces, right? We, obviously, we talked about him at church. Obviously, I had to study and do things through my school. And that was really the extent that I really saw God in my life. That was a lot of my life, but he kind of fit in these categories. And, and there were bits and pieces that I kind of put together to think of what God was like. And overall, I mostly viewed God as being very impersonal. He, he, w- he was just in these spaces. No one really knew what he was like. In fact, most people disagreed, at least in the, the camps I was in. And, you know, we were just talking about him. These were just systems and traditions that I was a part of. And the experience was uh, very much falling short of I think what it's supposed to be. So let me tell you about uh, what changed in my life that, that changed for me um, experiencing God in this impersonal way. So I uh, started playing drums right when I got into high school and it was awesome and I wanted to be in a rock band and I did make it in a rock band but it was just a high school rock band and uh, I loved it. This was like a great outlet for me and I begged my parents to let me go to this m- music camp in Nashville, Tennessee which was way uh, far away from West Virginia where I was from and with a bunch of people they didn't know. But somehow I convinced them to uh, find the money and to drop me off for a week in a city they had never been to with people they'd never known. And I got to go to this worship camp uh, and it was awesome. There were thousands of kids there, uh, all musicians and and singers. And every night uh, we would have like these concerts put on by like real uh, artists and uh, musicians. In, in the Christian music world. And that was the first time I was ever exposed to a, a kind of worship and environment where uh, it, it was like you actually thought God was there with you. <laughs> like most of my experience, it was either just in a book or it was just kind of like in a hymnal or just kind of, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't personal. It, it wasn't close and intimate. And here we're thousands of peers my age and and musicians and adults too, they're interacting with God in this way I'd never imagined 
interacting with him like. And, and of course, I like joined in and, and was mostly interested because my world was being turned upside down a little bit. I was beginning to question my view of God. And uh, God actually used that camp to uh, introduce me to someone who lived five miles away from me back home. There's thousands of kids at this camp, and one day I'm hanging out, and I meet a kid who lives a few miles away from me back at home, and he invited me to his youth group, and he's like, we need a drummer, and I'm like, that's great, I'm a drummer, and uh, it was amazing how God used this camp in my life. Now, I want to talk about why this was an aha moment for me. And the reason it was uh, this moment and what was happening right after was such a big deal is because I began to realize that God actually wanted me. God actually wanted me. Actually, when I first wrote this down, I wrote that God wanted to be with me. But actually, the more profound thing as I thought about it is that he wanted me. He created me. He thought about me. He cared about me. I was on his mind. He, He wanted to have more of me, and he wanted me. And it was, it was through this worship experience and seeing people interact with God in a close way, in a way that they responded to him, in a way that they loved him back, in a way that they thought he was listening and they were singing to him, and they were singing loudly and they were clapping their hands and raising their hands. I was like, what? This is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. But it, it captivated me, and it began over those next few years to make me think, man, maybe God wants me to have that kind of an experience with him. And I I wanted it to be true, and I I even began to think it could be true because of who he was surrounding me by, right? I met this this young guy my age um, who invited me to his youth group, and I began to get around youth pastors and, and other people my age who the environment was so different. And that's actually why I think this was so hard to believe, is in one sense, God felt impersonal. But in another sense, there was a lot, a lot of hurt in me because I didn't feel wanted. And actually, as I talked to the team about this, this I knew this was going to be uh, hard to share, but I wanted to share it with you guys. So growing up, I, I struggled a ton with feeling unaccepted with feeling, feelings of rejection. And that's like super normal for uh, everyone in middle school. It's like, yep, <laughs> that's what middle school's like. That's like the subtitle for middle school is rejection and no acceptance. Um, and as I grew up and now look back on it, I, I can tell that my experience was different than some, was probably more intense than some, probably wasn't the worst. But it, it, was, uh, it was really challenging me for, to navigate this space because I never felt really safe around my peers. I don't remember ever having a real friend that uh, just wanted to be with me, who accepted me. I, I, I remember a lot of what it actually was like. I mean, I, I didn't have a friend group. I didn't really have a place I fit in. I remember... Um, how unwanted I was. I I remember not being welcome. I remember being left out. I remember uh, almost every day, like the things that people would say to me, if if, if I was left alone and there wasn't a teacher around to see me, I I remember how people would treat me, how how they would physically hurt me. And uh, maybe maybe this is kind of like what your experience was like. Maybe you grew up with those intense feelings of rejections because of what people were saying to you and what people were doing to you. 
And I just remember feeling unwanted, unwelcome. And no one uh, really ever, I guess, met me in that space. I, I, I thought that there was actually something wrong with me. That's what I believed. I believed that I, I was getting attacked and, and made fun of and beat up and all these things because obviously I was doing something wrong. I didn't know what was so wrong about me, but I was determined that uh, if I could figure out what it was, then I could fix it. I could fit in. The pain would stop. Someone would accept me. It'd be okay. And uh, I think overall, I just felt like a loser. I felt unworthy. Um, I was ashamed of, I, I was ashamed for things that I knew I had done, and I was ashamed of things I, I didn't even know what to be ashamed for. I just um, thought there was something about me that wasn't okay. And so if you did grow up this way, or you, you, you had this view of self growing up, I mean, it's, it's a persistent message, right, of what people say to you and do to you that says you don't matter. You're not wanted here. And if you tell a kid that enough, and if you make them feel that way enough, they'll begin to believe it. You don't matter. Get out of here. We don't want you. The only reason we want you around is to hurt you and to make fun of you and to make ourselves feel better. And so specifics don't really matter for what that, that was like because what it ultimately made me feel was it made me feel like I couldn't belong, like I was unwanted, and especially on top of thinking that God was impersonal, maybe he didn't want me either. And so this was, this was profound to me. Maybe you're like, Josh, that's not really that big of a deal, but for me it was. For me, thinking that someone wanted me, uh, that, that was kind of the beginning of my aha moment. And this is what it actually looked like in my life. Actually, God's heart for me looked like God's people accepting me. Now, let me explain what I mean by accepting because I think this means a few different things to different people. What I don't mean by accepting is that they accepted or approved of everything I did in my life and just celebrated me uh, no matter what I was doing. What I mean by accepting is they treated me like a human being. Uh, they were glad when I was around. They considered me a friend. They saw worth and value in me. They, they, they thought that my life mattered. That's what I mean by accepting me. I mean like the way they treated me. And that's what I began to experience. As I started playing drums in these youth groups, I began to get around youth pastors who actually like thought of me. I, I began to get around friends who weren't abusive toward me. I didn't have to like be afraid of, of what someone might do. It was, it was incredible. It, I think that the biggest way I began to realize that God wanted me was because people who loved him started to show me that. They started to see something in me that, that they thought was valuable and they began to treat me with that, that same kind of value and worth. And it took, it took me a while to begin to accept that, to begin to uh, believe it to be true. And eventually over time, after a few years, you know, I'd been in all these God spaces. I knew who God was. I believed in Jesus. But I felt like he had only ever stayed in those spaces. And now what God was asking for me was to invade my life a little bit more, to let him into parts of my heart and parts of my life that I'd really never let anyone into. And so I, I think that as I got older, I felt like I had to respond to that in some way. 
And this is how kind of just at that young age I responded to that idea that God wanted me is I, I trusted God's ownership of my life by giving him all of me. So what I'm, I didn't write, I gave God ownership of my life. He's God. <laughs> he already owns everything. He's sovereign. He has created all things. All things come from him and belong to him. But I, I accepted and trusted his ownership of my life to the point that I leaned into it. I, I, I believed it. I moved toward him. And instead of just keeping him in these boxes and in these spaces, I let him have all of me. I let him have the hardest parts of me. I let him have the shame. I let him have the sin. I let him have the insecurity. And I began to take that to him. And he began to work in it. He began to meet me there as I, as I leaned in and decided to give all of my life to Jesus over and over again. Every part I would lean into him for, he would, he would push back with me and say, I'm here with you. And this, this just blew my mind that God wanted all of me. That he, he actually already knew that. He already knew how messed up I was. <laughs> and he was okay with it. Okay in the sense that he, it didn't scare him off. He didn't push me away. He didn't say you're damaged goods. You know, as I began to give him all of my life, there were other ways that, you know, if what I was doing in my heart where I was trying to find significance, where I was trying to almost like prove my worth and prove my value and earn it, and you begin to invest your life in these things and try to find significance. There's actually an author in the Bible, his name's Paul. He had these spaces and he said this about them. He said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, Paul was very religious. Paul knew a lot about God. He had God spaces. But it wasn't until that he encountered Jesus that he began to surrender all these things that gave him worth, value, significance. He calls them gains. He realizes all those actually were for loss. They, they weren't what he was supposed to give himself to. See, that's the wonderful thing about when you decide to give all of your life to Jesus is you will find that everything now finds its home in belonging in him. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to go find it. He made you. He knows you. You're his. And so Paul's saying here, he's saying, if I could only have one thing, that nothing is of equal worth to knowing Jesus, I'll just pursue him. Pursue him. I'll lean into that. I, I would give up everything else just to know and belong to him. And so I wanted to give myself to something and I wanted to find where I belonged, and I already tried finding significance in other things, and clearly it wasn't working. And, and God did. He moved close to me. I began to experience him in fresh ways. Actually, I would say around that time, at the end of high school, I began to think about if God could use my life uh, in church ministry, that, that uh, he, I had had such a experience of not knowing God's heart. He was impersonal in the church and in such a radically different experience through worship and, and the love of, of people in the church that I, I was like, 
I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about helping the church actually be the place where people are safe and can find belonging and can experience God's desire for them and love for them. And that passion stirred up in me. If you ever spent time with me here at Grace, like you know that's my passion. I, if you feel marginalized or on the fringe and you're, and you're like, how, can I belong here? And we've gotten to have that conversation. I feel like it, it's my prayer, my hope that you would see you do belong here. Like the people who come to Grace Church, we're all messy. We're all broken. We're all rejects. We don't, no one comes here with high status. No one gets the upper hand. We, we meet people where they're at so we can take them where they need to go. And that goes for anyone. And if you feel that way today, I want you to know that's, that's why we care about you so much. It's because it was only because of what, learning what God's heart was for me and how other people showed that to me. That was the only reason I even had an aha moment. I don't think anything would have been different about my life if it wouldn't have been God revealing his heart to me through the acceptance and love and invitation of others. And so I, ho- I pray and hope that Grace Church is a place where that just keeps happening on and on and on. And so that was my, my big kind of aha moment as, as a young person. I would say where God got a hold of my life, I gave all my life to him and he began to change the trajectory of my life. I did also today want to share another aha moment in my journey, another moment where I had to really reconcile um, something I'd gotten wrong about God. And so as I began to pursue a life of following him and figure out what it would look like to maybe one day pastor and serve in a church, um, you know, I dove all the way in. I wanted to give all of my life to God. I was going to do everything for him. But see, there there was a problem as I began to give all of my life to God, I started to, I don't know, change how I interacted with him. Maybe the way I'd say it today is actually this. I would say that my God formula stopped working. See, I'd created this formula in my mind that if I was gonna give all of my life to God, then I would do all of this stuff for him. And in doing all this stuff for him, I would begin to experience more and more of what he was really like. That the more I did, the more of him I would experience. But actually, what was very frustrating for me, where my God for me began to stop working is that I was doing more and more things for God, but I was moving further and further away from him. It's because I changed and traded what he wanted for me with something else. See, I began to trade worship for performance on a stage. I began to trade devotion and being alone with God for academic study and grades. I began to trade praying for teaching. I began to trade friendship for leadership. I began to trade ministry for my employment. I began to trade genuinely loving other people for projects I could fix. And none of it drew me closer to God. And as a 19, 20 year old trying to figure out how to be in church ministry, I was frustrated, I was burnt out, and I began to fall back into these, my worst thoughts and my worst sin struggles. I began to isolate from people. Now I didn't trust people again, and I was hiding, and I was just manufacturing this 
outward God life and wondering why it wouldn't work. See, I was in a lose-lose situation. When you try to do things for God to earn his favor, either you will do lots of great things, but be convinced that the only reason you have his favor is because you did things for it. Or you won't ever be able to keep up with all the things you're supposed to do that you'll just feel like a failure and you'll feel worthless and you'll feel unwanted. It's a (laughs) lose-lose. And so I was doing things for God, expecting that it would draw me closer to God, but this is what I realized. Doing things for God does not equal drawing closer to God. You can do all sorts of things for him and never experience his heart and mind. This is one of the biggest dangers for those of you who are leaders here in the church. That people can look at you and say, you're doing fine because you're doing stuff for God. That doesn't answer the question of, is all of our heart, is all of our life actually given over to him? Is it resting in him? Is it coming from a place of knowing how he has pursued us and saved us and bought us, or is it done out of an effort to earn it? And so I kind of had a a wake-up call, and eventually I did end up sharing what was going on internally with some trusted people, and they began to help me. But I became desperate to know God again, and I was very resentful toward the church because here I was trying to give all of my life to God through the church, and some of this fueled that. They were totally fine sometimes for me to do things for the church at the expense of my own relationship with God. And so I I was a little resentful at that. I didn't know how to do it differently, and so I began to try to reconnect with God and just remember those moments when I first began, began to follow him. Remember why I did this in the first place. And so just on my own, I started reading through the Psalms. Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible, and uh, there's just these poems written by people who are, who are pouring their hearts out to God, writing about their struggles and their insecurities and their fears and, the, and their frustrations. And I came across the Psalm, Psalm 73. And actually, we're going to read through it. I want to just show you kind of how I think this relates to our conversation today. And you can open up your app. Um, or the Bibles and the chairs right in front of you, turn to page uh, 416. We're going to read through this whole thing. It won't be on the screen. Um, but this, was, this is the part of the Bible I have felt most understood by. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that experience reading the Bible, and it feels like, I don't know if this applies to me, and how does this work? Um, and then you just come to parts where you're like, that's me. I mean, that, that is what I needed to hear. I've never felt more understood and more related to, and it's because... It's a psalm, it's a poem written by someone who knew God but became disillusioned with the pursuit of him. It didn't turn out the way he expected it. He was frustrated. He didn't know how to get back to God. So it starts off this way in verse one of Psalm 73. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, he believes God is good to his people. He's good to them. He trusts his goodness. But in verse two, he says, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
So for him, his ability to lean into God and his goodness, he started to kind of pull back on that because he looked at other people's lives who didn't give a rip about God. Calls them the arrogant or the wicked. And he began to compare his life to to theirs. And he felt like his God formula was broken. He says this about those who, who don't care about God. He says, they actually don't have any struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They're like, ha, my life's working. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. People are fueling this mindset. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? God doesn't want us. He's not, he doesn't give a rip about us. This is what the wicked are like. They are always carefree and they go on amassing wealth. Actually, he doesn't paint them in that bad of a light sometimes. (laughs) Healthy bodies, they've got plenty of wealth, they don't have problems and are carefree. See, what's happening to him is he's beginning to see all the work that he's putting into leaning into God's goodness, to being someone who follows God. And he almost slips Because he begins to look at other people and maybe they have the good life. Maybe they're the ones who actually have it figured out because it's easy for them. They don't have to worry about giving their lives over to God. They don't have to worry about giving all their lives over to God. They keep him in these spaces. In fact, they don't even think that he wants to be a part of their life. And so they put him in these spaces or they ignore him altogether. And for some reason, life is fine for them but I'm spending so much time being aware of my sin, being aware of of who God is and how to draw close to him, and I'm moving and working and pushing toward him, and I'm trying to get his goodness, and I'm trying to experience it, but I just can't get close enough to it, and he's about ready to throw in the towel. He's completely disillusioned of this pursuit of God. He's forgotten why he even began it in the first place. He says this in verse 13. He says, well, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. This isn't, I mean, isn't this a waste? And have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. He doesn't even see the value and joy of belonging to God. But he says this, if I had spoken out like that, well, you actually already did. You wrote it down. (laughs) If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. I would have like, completely forgotten what you've done for me, your family. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. See, what does he do? He has to remember where their lives are going. They've already separated themselves from God and their lives are only gonna move them further away from that. But it's not until he just stops doing things for God, and he just goes into the sanctuary, the place of God's presence, and he's just with God, that he remembers, I'm with you. That, that's what this is all about. It's not about what my life looks like or how easy their life is or, or what rewards they get. 
He says it this way. Surely you've placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So their life just disappears. They weren't pursuing God. They weren't seeking him. They weren't responding to his love and pursuit of them, and it slips away. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This is where I start to relate to this psalm. (laughs) That I, I get into this position where I get so angsty with God, I get so frustrated that I become grieved, become disappointed. I get embittered. I act in ways that I, I wouldn't normally act. I act like a brute beast, and that's, that's what describes my relationship with God, is that I'm just acting out. What does God do with people who act like brute beasts? Verse 23 says, I am always with you. That's the hardest thing for me to believe about God, that he's always with me, that he's faithful even when I'm not faithful, and that when I my heart is where it is sometimes, or when I speak of him, or I act toward him like a brute beast. He says, I'm still with you. (laughs) I'm holding the screaming toddler. (laughs) I still want to be near you. I'm not pushing you away. It says, you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You walk with me through life. And afterward, you will take me into glory. The place I'm going is to be with you. I'm with you now, and ultimately I'm going to be with you. And this is actually my favorite part of the psalm. Verses 25 and 26 say, Whom have I in heaven but you, God? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, God knows who he wants. He knows who he's chosen. He's chosen people who act like kids (laughs) and who are messy and whose flesh and heart fail. He calls people who are broken. He calls people who are rejects. He calls people who don't have it all together, but he sees worth in them. He sees value in them. He picks up dead things and makes makes them beautiful again. And what we lean on in response is, is, we'll get our lives together, no. Because God is the strength of our heart and he's our portion forever. The only reason we stumble our way through this life is because he goes with us. He opts in to being a part of our lives even though we're broken and messy. And ultimately, the whole point in doing all this is to get him, is to one day be fully united with him and, and we experience him, him now. There's nothing on earth he desires. There's nothing worth finding our significance in. There's nothing worth chasing. We keep thinking that there's something better out there for us. We keep thinking there's something better in the world that that has to offer us where we can find significance and worth and value. And what we're just doing is we keep going to the dumpster for food when we've been invited to a banquet. There's nothing on this earth that compares to him. Whom have I in heaven but you? Who is like God? Who loves you when you feel unlovable? Who sees worth in you when you feel worthless? Who sees value in you when you feel invaluable? Who cares about you when everyone doesn't care about you? Who is like God? 
Nothing compares to him. And he closes out in verse 28 and says, for me it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. See, when you're senseless and your God formula is broken, you know what's good for you? To draw near to God. That does not, and what I'm not saying is do more things for him. Just draw near to him. I think that when our God formula is wrong too, we have to go back and question what did we expect? Where did it go wrong? Is it most likely how we've begun to view God? The way I began to respond to this, this moment of my God formula being broken was I rested in God's work and stopped trying to prove myself. See, God already knew he was calling. He, he already saw worth and value in me when I felt worthless. He already saw me at my worst. He still sees me at my worst. He put people in my life to to show me that. He sent his son Jesus to show the length to which he would go to possess me. And this is still one of my, my biggest struggles today, just to rest. I, it says like how I responded past tense, I rested, but I still have to just stop sometimes. And if you're just doing things for God, and you're, you're doing it out of guilt, or you're doing it to, to prove it or to earn it, you, you need to rest. If, if you've been doing that even as a leader, Sometimes you just have, have to stop because the church isn't held up by you. It's held up by God. Jesus actually talks about this. This is one of the clearest pictures of what the heart of Jesus is like for us. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Hook yourself to me, partner yourself with me, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can we be yoked and put to work and be given a burden that is easy and light? It's because of who we're yoked to. We're yoked to Jesus. We begin to learn from him. He begins to lead us and, and move us. And maybe the reason we're so discouraged and disillusioned and exhausted in our spiritual life is because we keep working against that yoke. And we're tiring ourselves out, moving against where Jesus is trying to take us, not leaning into it. For me, resting in, in Jesus came through uh, a number of different things. You know, here I am, I work at a church. Um, I've spent a lot of my life going through, uh, as a student, going through Bible college and seminary. There are so many spaces in my life where I'm required to do God things. How do, how do I just like rest sometimes? I haven't quit my job yet. <laughs> 
Sometimes I just have to force myself to be alone and to stop. I hate being alone. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> That's why I like my family. I'd rather be with my family or just like here hanging out. I'd rather be around people, but I have to force myself to go retreat for a weekend at a cabin and not take work to do, like church work, just like go be with God for myself. Sometimes I have to block off a morning and just be in silence and solitude or, or journal and just talk with God, not work through a list, not, not get to the agenda. Sometimes I have to just even worship him again by myself just to pick up my guitar and, and sing by myself or sing with my kids and to just be with God and do it out of a, a knowing him, an acceptance of him, a enjoyment of him just to rest, knowing and remembering that he loves me regardless of, of my performance. I just have, I have to pause. I have to stop. I, I don't quit everything, but sometimes I release myself from those burdens so that I can remember, you still love me right here, God. Even though I'm not working today, even though I can't do that as great as some other people can, even though I'm not limitless and can help everyone, it's okay. I'm yours. I can rest in you. And so with this series, I think it's important to think about what does it look like to draw close to God? For me, the moments where I felt closest to God, one was in community, where I was around other people who, who loved Jesus and would let me be vulnerable and will let me be encouraged and let me be challenged. I mean, I think it's ironic that God made me a life group pastor. I didn't even know that was a thing till I moved to Akron. <laughs> and then God's like, hey, I'm gonna use your story and put you right here. I'm not a life group pastor because I care about groups. I, I am passionate about the church being a place where people can have community and be the family of God, where even the most marginalized people can be a part of the family. That sounds way more fun than join a group, right? <laughs> That's, that's what God did for me in the church. I was received. I found something that I had never experienced before. And so at Grace, you're not a bother to us. We love you. We want you here. And if you feel like you're that, I, I don't fit in or I'm the fringe, you actually belong here. You do fit in here. You are wanted. You are a part of the family and you belong the other way, besides just the vulnerability and friendship and community was worship, which I already mentioned, whether that's just on my own or even here in these chairs with you, right? That we don't have to be afraid of being loud or putting our hands up in the air or just sitting in the chair and, and weeping because you, you're doing that too. <laughs> like you don't have to be afraid of doing that because someone else is already, and that in those moments of worship where we can just be honest and vulnerable and God actually can meet us there. If, if you've never been able to meet with God honestly in worship, that may be a space he just wants you to be because you don't have to do anything. You're not in the band. <laughs> actually interact with him. You don't have to be loud and extroverted like me, but you can interact with him. You can contemplate him. You can 
speak to him softly, you can believe what we're singing (laughs) and you can receive it. And you can do all those other things too. If you want to put your hands up, if you want to cry, like this is safe. This is a place where we get to meet with God because he is good. And we believe he wants us, that he's chosen us, that he sees worth and value in us. And we don't have to do anything to prove it. We just get to receive it because of what Jesus has done and chasing us down and bringing us back to him. We just get to cry out. But God does want all of you. And so I would encourage you to let him in because I found that the, the moments where I long for God, God loves to answer that prayer. He loves to meet me when I long for him. When I push everything else out of the way and the things that I've began to find significance in and I say, actually, God, it's just you. Oh, man. He'll meet with you. O- over time, even, it'll become more real. And so I'd like to invite the band out and I'd love even to pray uh, for our time right now. God, we, we want to know who you really are. And I believe just even from my own experience that there are many of us who are in that position of not believing that you actually want us. We feel void of value and we feel like rejects, we feel worthless. And there may be other things we can point to that, but God, we need to, we need to know that you think differently about us. And so, for those of us who are maybe afraid to lean into your acceptance, they're afraid to give all of their lives over to you, there are parts of their heart and parts of their lives that they haven't trusted to you yet, Would you help them to be vulnerable enough even now to just lay that down before you? To trust that to you, that you would meet them there. That we we can draw close to you and we can know you. Give our church courage when, when we're afraid to trust you. Help us believe what you see what you've shown us through the person of Jesus. And I pray that in his name, amen.